Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guests are the owners of the new Kansas City NWSL team, Angie and Chris Long, who I go back with many, many decades. We'll tell that story. We've had some great guests lately, including Ted Lasso's Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt, MLS Commissioner Don Garber and Landon Donovan, along with many others. So check those interviews out. It would be huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. We'll have the longs on soon here, but Let's start with some talk about the soccer world with my friend Chris Whittingham of the Chelsea Miked Up podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me. How are you? Doing all right, Grant. How's everything? Things are good. Things are good. We have an MLS Cup champion, which I guess is probably the story of the American Soccer Weekend. Columbus Crew 3, Seattle Sounders nil. Surprising result for a lot of people, especially after we saw the Darlington Nagby and Pedro Santos were going to miss this final. And basically, just about everybody I know is picking Seattle. Maybe there were some people out there who were still picking Columbus. How did Columbus do this? By playing their game. Like, they, they were unbothered by the fact that they were missing these key contributors. I was Obviously, you're most impressed probably with the 19-year-old Aiden Morris who comes in for Darlington Nagby because everything that we've kind of seen from Darlington Nagby in... Columbus, Atlanta, and Portland is that that guy's really important to the success of winning teams, right? It might not necessarily show in goals and assists, but you get this feeling that Darlington Nagby is the key to success. You pluck in a 19-year-old and you're like, I don't know if they can fill that gap. And it didn't look like they were appreciably different. They look like the Columbus crew that you recognize. And Lucas Elleran just turned in the exact kind of performance that when every club is like, we need a DP number 10, right? To be creative, to score goals, to make our team work. The kind of performance that Lucas Elleran put in is exactly what every club is looking for. And well done to Columbus and their ownership for dropping an amount of money on that player that previously at Columbus Crew just didn't happen. It didn't exist. And he was a match winner and a title winner for that team. Yeah, just a tremendous performance from Caleb Porter's Columbus because this game was really never in doubt. That's what was crazy to me because even when Columbus went up 2-0, I kept waiting because I'm used to seeing Seattle come back. They'd done that, obviously, against Minnesota uh, in the game before, and they just never really got close to doing that. And Brian Schmetzer deserves a ton of credit for everything he's done getting the Sounders to four of the last five MLS finals. He did stick with the same starting lineup in this game, as he's done throughout, and he has gotten credit for that. But this was a game where maybe Alex Roldan, in retrospect, not the best option. And I think Brad Smith as well at left back when he came in, although he probably should have been sent off five minutes after coming on. <laughs> uh, save for that, uh, I thought I thought he made a good contribution coming off the bench as well. Yeah, I think, you know, Seattle are a funny one because I think, you know, what Brian Schmetzer I think is best at is precisely managing the nature of the MLS season, right? He knows that, you know, you rotate in midweek games during the regular season. He knows how to handle playoff scenarios. He's been in it for so long, and this is the kind of experience that we're talking about when it comes to American coaches and American general managers that know precisely how this, le or domestic base, because Adrian Heath is an American, but he's been around the game long enough to know how it works. And I think Brian Schmetzer knows precisely how it works, but there are still times where even with the impressive lineup of players that they have, they are played off the park on occasions. And that's exactly what happened on Saturday night. And it was just so 
bizarre to see a Seattle team that has so much talent that at times has looked rampant in these playoffs just completely no-show. Some of these top players, Lodero and Rui Diaz and Jordan Morris, just give you nothing for the most part. I mean, they created the odd chance, and I thought for the 20 minutes after halftime, they were at least within touching distance of getting a goal, but it was surprising to see a Seattle team that hadn't dealt with the COVID issues that Columbus had, you know, struggle so mightily in attempting to create, you know, goal-scoring chances and, you know, exert any kind of dominance in the game. So MLS deserves some congratulations for getting through the year, getting through the season, because um, you look at the two USL finals, they got canceled the week of, and that was certainly a concern once the Ohio State game against Michigan was canceled in Columbus on the same day. They ended up getting it, getting it done, getting it pulled off. They were missing two stars from Columbus. And so I just hope that whenever MLS starts playing again, and maybe it's going to be March, maybe April, I, I just hope we're in a position where that's not something hanging over things. It's going to be there to some extent, right? Like I, I can tell you living in my household, you know, with an epidemiologist. <laughs> yes, the vaccine is is here. It's coming this starting this week. But even some news reports, I'm like seeing the report being like, you know, three thousand Americans died today, but the vaccine is here. That's not the three. Unfortunately, tragically, the three thousand report. That's not stopping this next week. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think yeah. people don't have a full understanding, and there needs to be better messaging about. And, and my wife's trying to do everything she can about that. But like that, like just because the vaccine is here, it's going to be a somewhat lengthy rollout and life's not going to go back to normal next week or even a month or two from now. So we'll see what happens over the next few months. We actually do have CONCACAF Champions League this week. So we're still going to see MLS teams in action. And I'm, I'm just curious to see if they they bring it, you know, like. LAFC, I think, if they bring it, could actually win CONCACAF Champions League. I don't know if they will. They may go one and done. They were playing Cruz Azul, which, like, another team you're like, what are they going to bring after that? Like, they're not bringing their coach, by the way, I saw. Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm interested to see if CCL this week and, you know, over the next week and a half ends up being interesting or sort of underwhelming. And to be honest, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider the teams that are in it. I mean, New York City FC and Montreal were eliminated in round one. Atlanta United don't have a prayer because they're already 3-0 <laughs> down. And, you know, like they've you know been off for a month and a half now. You know, they haven't hired a coach yet. They're very much in transition. They traded a player to Austin FC over the weekend that had featured for them some. So I, I think Atlanta probably don't have a chance. And then the LAFC thing, I just... We've never seen LAFC switch into gear during this regular season. Like, we haven't seen the LAFC that we're used to. And even after the absolute catastrophe that Cruz Azul's, you know, ending to their season was, I think under interim management, they should be able to get that job done. This wasn't the LAFC of the first two years this year. So, I mean, it's a neutral stadium. They'll probably, I don't know if they'll let fans in, but yeah, I think uh, CCL is going to be a bizarre one this year because no one is really coming in riding a high. Not Tigres, not uh, Club America, not Cruz Azul. Like, there's no one who's entering this with any bit of momentum or kind of riding the wave of their usual regular season. If LAFC tried to put Walker Zimmerman in LAFC jersey this week do you think they could get away with it (laughs) they might might, I feel much better about their chances 
it seems like a bit of an inflection point if you're someone in the United States who who watches different soccer leagues, including MLS, because MLS is done now. Champions League is also done now in UEFA until February. And so we're really going to start seeing more midweek European games starting soon here. We're going to get into knockout tournaments. So it, it feels like a bit of a a changing point right now. But we're also starting to see some coaches getting fired. And one of those very prominently this weekend is Lucien Favre at Borussia Dortmund. Losers 5-1 to one at home to Stuttgart, coached by American Pellegrino Matarazzo, former guest. Check out that interview. And this isn't totally a surprise because it was pretty clear that Favreau's contract, which was up at the end of the season, was not going to be extended. So what they're doing is they're going to have a caretaker for the next, you know, for the rest of the season here. And they're going to hire somebody else uh, to start next season, unless the caretaker just does some amazing job. Jesse Marsh, coach of Salzburg, American, is, according to Build, one of the top three candidates for the Dortmund job. Now, we asked Jesse about this when he was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he acknowledged it, said it wasn't even the first time he'd been listed as a, as a top candidate for Dortmund. And he was political about the whole thing. But, you know, he went to Europe for this type of an opportunity to go up the chain. Like, how realistic do you think it is that Jesse Marsh could be the next Dortmund coach for someone like Gio Reyna, Erling Holland, Jaden Sancho for now? Is this something that could happen? Yeah, it's interesting. He's got connection to, you know, two of the biggest players at the club in, in Reyna and in Holland. And I think it was interesting. You mentioned how he was political about the answer, but he's political in the way in which, yeah, I came to Europe to take it to its furthest possible extent, right? Which is kind of code for, yeah, I'm at RB Salzburg now, but... If a bigger thing comes, I mean, every player at RB Salzburg is thinking about where they're going next. Dominic Schalbeslei is kind of uh, next in that line of players who could potentially off to a bigger club. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I think you have to consider that Salzburg were a club that prior to his arrival were historic bottlers in the Champions League playoffs, right? They had you know qualified to try and get to the playoffs and they could never make it. They made the group stage twice and then they take it to the final day against Atletico Madrid and we're in with a real shout. They had a couple of great chances on that final group stage day to make it. They're staying in Europa League, which is big for a club like Aubrey Salzburg. And I think he is impressed, right, in every possible way that you could. So I don't know if Dortmund is necessarily the next step just because it's such a big club. But I think if he gets it, he would absolutely deserve it. But maybe it's kind of that just that next level below. Maybe Leipzig, if Julian Nagelsmann ever goes at some point. But I, I really do think that Jesse Marsh absolutely deserves, you know, a shout. You know, look at Marco Rosa, Borussia Mönchengladbach, like there are other candidates. But I think Marsh is absolutely deserving of that opportunity. It is interesting, one, a couple of things here, that the two— prominent American coaches in Europe, Matarazzo and Marsh, are doing very well right now. Matarazzo yeah. with Stuttgart is seventh in the Bundesliga. This is a team that got promoted this season with Matarazzo at the helm. And while Stuttgart does have a great history, and they certainly have finished in the top half of the Bundesliga, they've won the Bundesliga this century. But still, what he's doing, he could be a guy that can make a move 
if he continues doing this. 100%. And I think you've seen, you know, some American coaches go to Europe and they try and climb up the ladder. But these two guys seem to have found it, I don't want to say easy, but I mean, Jesse Marsh moved, you know, from the Red Bulls to Leipzig. And within three years, he's managing in the Champions League. Matarazzo was an assistant. And, you know, he was on the podcast. He told the story of, uh, of being plucked up by the former uh, Arsenal technical director. And he's, he's now in charge at Stuttgart. And he kind of, you know, handpicked him. And now, and they're away. Top seven in the Bundesliga at the end of the weekend. I mean, that's incredible for an American manager. And it's funny because when Bob Bradley went to the Premier League, and part of that's because it's the Premier League instead of the Bundesliga, but I do think that Bob Bradley got so many headlines and every game was scrutinized. I remember watching, going out of my way to watch Swansea because of, you know, Bob Bradley was in charge for 11 games. And now I think similar to how with players, right? You know, six, seven players at European clubs and you don't want to, you don't want to become desensitized to it because it's still crazy, but you are a little bit like, all right, that's cool. Like Jesse Marsh is, is doing that, but it's not like stop the presses. There's Americans succeeding. I think these guys are opening doors and hopefully more follow behind them. That's where I kind of think of Greg Vanny and, and sort of the assumption right now, there's no hard reporting yet, is that Vanny's going to become the LA Galaxy coach. He just stepped down from Toronto, obviously had a lot of success in Toronto, but part of me wonders, could Greg Vanny... If he got the right situation, go to Europe and get on this track as well. He's still a fairly young guy. Well, I, I just think that Greg Vanny is always going to be more valuable to MLS than he is going to be to the rest of the world because we already talked about how Americans are just more valuable in MLS because they get it. They understand how it works. Greg Vanny gets LA Galaxy. He's going to be more valuable to LA Galaxy than he would be to a club in Europe where I do think still that... Greg Vanny would have to prove himself, right? Jesse Marsh didn't have to prove himself to Red Bull because he had been working in this organization and they were all aware of each other and Jesse Marsh doesn't have to step into Leipzig and prove himself. He doesn't have to step into Salzburg and prove himself. And Matarazzo kind of had the credibility of having been in Germany for so long, right? And he's like almost as much German as he is American at this point. So I do kind of wonder stepping into that gap, but you also wonder as well, you know, Greg Vanny presumably by managing Toronto FC, a very international club that tries to buy international players, are you building connections when going for players with, you know, clubs in Europe? And they watch Toronto and they respect Toronto. Like, I, I do kind of wonder how much the rest of the world pays attention to MLS and are impressed. Like, even like, if, let's say, for example, Brian Schmetzer's out of contract, right? If, let's say, Brian Schmetzer decided, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with Seattle. He's, you know, the ultimate Seattle guy, but you know, he's done with Seattle. If he decided he wanted to go to Europe, do you think there'd be a market for Brian Schmetzer, a guy who's made four out of five finals? Because in theory, that resume should get you interest. But I, I don't even know, like, how much is there cross-pollination across soccer worlds? I think if he hired Gordon Hayward's agent, that might be... <laughs> that. That's what I would do, because whoever, like, Gordon Hayward's agent is, man, that, hire that guy. Like, <laughs> it, 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 this, is not a, this is not a negative commentary on Brian Schmetzer, please, or, or, or Gordon Hayward, for that matter. It's, it's simply, I don't think yet that there's a lot of respect in Europe for this guy won an MLS title. Do I think there should be more? Sure. I think MLS is actually a really hard league to coach in because your hands are both tied behind your back. And there have been, you know, so if you can have success in MLS, I actually think that speaks well of you as a coach. But I don't think too many of the people who are hiring in positions over there are going to put that much stock in if you're an MLS Cup champion coach. Now, maybe if you won a few titles, you would think you would hope that that might get some people to listen. But yeah, it's it's an interesting question because we had Jesse Marsh on a few weeks ago, and one of the questions I had for him was, 
Are there some things that you bring as an American that you think European coaches don't bring? And he actually tried to make the case, did make the case, that there's this sort of positive arrogance from Americans, which I took to mean this sort of can-do, you know, we can put a man on the moon by the end of this decade, <laughs> and then we'll do it. And, and that optimism is something that sometimes you, you don't always get from Europeans. I actually thought of that this week. Did you see at the end of the, the champ, last Champions League match day where Shakhtar needed just one goal to, to beat Inter and advance in Champions League? Mm -hmm. And instead of going for that one goal that they would, would cause them to advance in Champions League, Shakhtar played for a, a tie which caused them to be eliminated from Champions League, but get into Europa League ahead of Inter. And so their coach is like celebrating at the end of this game because they got the tie and are out of Champions League and in Europa League. And to me, that was sort of the most ridiculous example ever of you play to win the game, dude. Mm -hmm. And and I, I I'm actually still bothered about it, just talking to it, to you about it right now. <laughs> yeah, it it offends your sensibility, right? You you play for the draw to stay in Europa League. I guess the exact opposite, and kind of the uh, example to your uh, side of the th the argument would be Ben Olsen sending his goalkeeper forward against Orlando City. Remember that the the Wayne Rooney game where he plays the long ball <laughs> to Acosta? They were tied at that point, and Wayne Rooney's like, "Why are we sending our goalkeeper forward? We're tied." Like, what is wrong with you? But he's like, listen, we, we got to go win a game here at home. And they won the game. So uh, I, I feel like that those are the, con the contrasting mentalities. Just to wrap up here, I want to ask you about news this week with Inter-Miami team you mm. spent a lot of time following. Paul McDonough, sporting director, is out. And he had taken on a very big role at that club as, you know, the guy who was recruiting the talent even on the business side, he was doing a lot of stuff, really involved eventually in the facility side. He's been involved now with startups in MLS with Orlando and then Atlanta and now Miami. He's almost kind of like the startup guy and he's out. And I just wanted to know why you think that was the case. And do you think he'll find work quickly at another MLS startup? I mean, certainly there are plenty of startups, right? I mean, who knows if, you know, Charlotte has already said, hey, you can come build our thing or whoever. But I was genuinely surprised by this. And I've spoken to Paul on a couple of occasions. And one of the things that, you know, before the stadium was being built, I remember I was there for the first day of Inter-Miami training, right? When, you know, we didn't know who the DPs were going to be. They were linked with Pizarro. And I remember asking him, you know, like, what's a day like? And he's like, well, you know, sometimes I get a call from an agent about a player. And then sometimes I get a call from an interior designer asking me what I think the suite should should look like. And he, he was involved in that granular level with, you know, a bunch of things. He took on a bigger role in the business side. So I was just surprised given that this is his thing. Uh, I would have figured, you know, he would have, you know, dictated who he thinks the next coach should be if, if there was indeed a power struggle within the organization. Or, I mean, we don't know, right? Because it, it's unclear whether Diego Alonso is going to come back. And I think it's really hard as well to kind of make these sweeping changes at the present moment. Because, for example, they had to trade Ben Sweat today. I think, you know, there was kind of a negotiation about, uh, you know, the expansion drive with Austin FC. So they traded him. They're making roster decisions and without kind of really knowing what the vision is going to be going forward. The one thing that most sticks out about what's happening 
happened in the aftermath of the season is that all of the U.S.-based players, for the most part, I counted today, there are six Americans that is still in this squad, right? So you, you brought all your international players, your Iguains, your Pizarros, your Figales, LGPs, and all that. But in terms of American players, six remaining in the squad. And in theory, McDonough was meant to bring this experience, right, of, you know, being in the American game and knowing to bring in Will Trapp and Juan Agudelo and Ben Sweat and Luis Robles. None of those guys are there anymore. And so I think it, it might have been an admission that some of what he was attempting to build and what his knowledge was meant to be didn't come to fruition. And I'll just be curious whether it's Diego Alonso's vision or someone else's vision that's going to end up being executed. Quick question for you. Who's got the power down there? It, it, you know, how much is, is Jorge Mas? How much is David Beckham behind, behind the big decisions that get made with Inter-Miami? My sense is that Jorge Mas is very much the one who's kind of running that show. Uh, but I, I don't know because... Ultimately, that's based off of physical appearance. I mean, Jorge Mas was at every game for the most part this season. His brother Jose was there a lot as well. I don't know from you know Beckham's standpoint if because he is his title is president of soccer operations, and so I don't know if you know he's making calls about you know who he thinks the the next left back should be. But in in terms of the public face, the one who talks the most, it would be Jorge Mas. And prior to this stepping down of Paul McDonough, if you had asked me that question, I would have said this is Paul McDonough's show because. He's acquired some power. He's the one who, sp- who spoke after every personnel move. He kind of detailed negotiations for Pizarro and Higuain and, and, and all the major players. So I would have said this is McDonough's show. And I'm kind of waiting to see if now this is Diego Alonso's show, but we, that, that kind of has yet to be determined. So I think right now that answer is kind of TBD, uh, which when you're in the middle of a really important offseason, it's got to be something that's rectified fairly quickly. Now, before we go here, I want everyone who's listening to hear me congratulate you for being named by <laughs> Miami New Times. They're broadcaster of the year in South Florida. For those of you who don't know, Chris is the hardest working man in, in South Florida radio. Uh, what, what are you doing? Dolphins, yep. University of Miami, Inter-Miami, mm-hmm. yeah. this podcast, Miked Up podcast. Yeah, I'm adding on uh, the Florida Panthers hosting duties when uh, when they are return. Really? Yeah, yeah, when the NHL season returns, I'm going <laughs> to add, add that onto my plate. I just, I say yes to everything. So if you have a job offer, send it to me and I will probably say yes. <laughs> That is awesome. Congratulations. I, I am Thank so you. impressed really with your, your ability to do so many different sports at such a high level. And whenever you and I talk soccer, I know that I can bring up basically anything in soccer and you will be able to talk about it, which is actually pretty damn impressive. I hope you sleep at least a little bit, Chris. <laughs> I appreciate that. There's always a YouTube channel with like 30 highlights of Bundesliga that I've got to catch up on. So I'm always just trying to stay across everything. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Grant. Really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis with a Z, and you can watch all the action in Spain's La Liga and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch the top leagues from France, Brazil, and Argentina. There's some great midweek action with Real Madrid Athletic Bilbao on Tuesday and Barcelona Real Sociedad on Wednesday and Copa Libertadores Tuesday through Thursday this week. Fanatis features channels you know, like be in sports in English and Spanish, Gold TV, and many more, and it costs as little as $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description 
or going to fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Now, here's my interview with Angie and Chris Long. Our guests now are two people I've known since I was a teenager. Two people who just happen to be owners of the new NWSL team in my hometown, Kansas City, which starts play this next season. This is one of those times when I say, full disclosure, I am longtime friends with these folks who I think will be great for soccer in Kansas City and the NWSL as a whole. I went to high school and college with Angie Long. I went to college with Chris Long. Congratulations to both of you, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Grant. Uh, it's an honor to be with you and have this conversation. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we've so long admired your work. So it's really a treat to get to have, you know, time like this together. Awesome. I, I, I'm totally fired up. And I want to start with Angie here. Um, some quick background for listeners. Three years ago, Kansas City lost its NWSL team, uh, FC Kansas City, which had won two league titles. It moved to Utah. Now, Utah, having lost its owner, is moving to Kansas City. How did you two become interested in owning an NWSL team in the first place? You know, I, I think it probably started at the moment when the team left. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't know that the team was leaving. We were fans. Uh, it was a it was an important part of the community for us. Um, and I think we were heartbroken when when the team left and. But, you know, other than sort of ask a few questions and try to figure out why we, we I didn't do a lot with that information other than feel sad um, <laughs> until after the World Cup. Uh, so last summer, as you know, because you because you saw because you saw him, um, Chris was in France for almost a month with our second oldest uh, who was playing with some youth teams and um going to some world cup matches. And then I came over with the other, we, we have four kids. So I came over with the rest of the crew for about a week and, and got to watch our daughter play and got to go to world cup match. And it was, it was, it was incredible. It was so powerful, not, not just as, as my first world cup experience, but also the experience watching, watching the, the kids play and watching, um, all of the the French extended families cheering for their daughters and granddaughters and hearing and, and really feeling all of the buzz in Europe um, and all the buzz around the women's game. Because I was actually in Princeton. It, I mean, it must have been a reunions time or something, um, you know, when, when they first won, when the women won, the Dare to Dream group won and that that feeling of wow women's sports is here for real at the highest levels and I felt the same way um almost in an international experience way being in France last summer um or now at this point 18 months ago uh, and and so that was that was the beginning of just a you know really feeling this tipping point in, in women's soccer internationally coming back I was talking to another really good Princeton friend uh, of ours, uh, Karen Ortman, who at the time she had also been in France, you know, hugely 
would say obsessed with, with the women's game and, um, and just the, the quality of play and how exciting it was. And she said, well, it's absurd that LA doesn't have a women's professional team. Um, and, and I'm getting a group of people together to bring one here. And I thought you can do that. I didn't even know that was possible. And so tell me, you know, I thought, tell me everything about how, how do you accomplish that? How are you thinking about it? And I mean, that was a really exciting moment that, that put, I think in, in my mind, the real possibility that, that we could do, do something similar because again, I was still hooked on this, this, we need to get a team back to Kansas city. And then last summer, um, like maybe four or five months ago at, at, at this point, I, I, Chris and I got a text from Hugh Williams, who is, you know, Kansas city local legend. He's, he's going to be our coach and he is an amazing coach and just soccer guru. And he's been a good friend of ours and a, and a great resource for us in soccer in Kansas city and the highest levels of soccer. Um, we had a text from him saying any interest bringing a women's team back to Kansas city and, Yes. I mean, our response was, was most definitely yes. And that's when we really started talking in earnest with the league and, you know, figuring out our plan for how can we, how can we get a team here? And that the thought process at that time was, we'll, we'll try to get a team here. However we can, we can go, we'd be willing to go the expansion route. We'd be willing to try to buy a team, but you know, how can we get one here as fast as we can? Chris, you and I literally had coffee at the Women's World Cup in Paris for an hour or two. It was great to catch up. Um, and so it was very clear to me, and we've stayed in touch over the years, uh, it was very clear to me just how big your whole family was into women's soccer. Um, I guess it's one thing to be big into women's soccer, but it's another thing to become an owner of a women's soccer professional team. Why do you think the NWSL is a good investment right now? You know, if you think about the women's game, I mean, we really think it is on a tremendous trajectory. You know, if you look at this next decade, you know, two World Cups, Olympics, um, you know, all the things that's going on as far as media and how that relates to uh, women's soccer, um, the fact that we have the best players in the world, um, and a lot of them have their own unbelievably large platforms in and of, them, of themselves. And we looked at that tailwind, and we really felt very, very, you know, kind of convinced that this is this is pretty obvious. This is this is something to get, you know, involved in. And I'd say the other part was was it was in Paris. Um, you know, seeing you know not only. Um, you know, obviously our beloved U.S. Women's National Team, you know, continue to crush it. But also on the youth level, um, I had the pleasure of attending, oh my gosh, I want to say seven uh, friendlies versus local uh, youth clubs like Lyon and, and others and seeing the, you know, you know, grandfathers out there supporting their granddaughters and seeing, you know, moms and dads and the neighborhood coming out and, you know, just realizing that this is the world's game. And certainly, you know, Kansas City ultimately is Soccer City USA, and it really deserves a team. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's interesting because there is a history with soccer in Kansas City. And, and I, I saw in one story this week, you know, Angie mentioned going to Kansas City Comets indoor games at a sold-out Kemper Arena back in the 1980s. 
And I was doing the same thing and, and really falling in love with watching professional soccer, not just playing it because participation numbers have always been really high. Um, I guess, you know, for Angie, what stood out to you about going to those Comets games back in the day or, or going to FC Kansas City games with your kids in more recent times? It's funny. It didn't occur to me at the time that my parents had never even seen the game of soccer. They didn't know anything about the game of soccer. My dad was the coach. We don't need to talk about that. He was an amazing coach as a dad, but he didn't know the game. Um, but he is, I remember him starting to play uh, in just a, at all American indoor sports or something, but the games were so fun. That's why everybody went because they were a blast yep. and it was the sport was fun. Um, but the games were fun. And the, I'm sure you remember the, the laser light show. <laughs> oh yeah. Michael Jackson impersonator. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, it was just, it was an incredible experience. Um, you know, and, and I think that's what, that's what we want to do with the team here. Not a, not a laser show necessarily. Oh no, no laser no. show. I'm really not <laughs> sure okay. about that Michael Jackson impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is an experience. And, and I think, you know, that that's a really important part, part of it is um, these games are, are a fun place to, to go and to celebrate and to have your team. Yeah, just from a community experience, uh, I, I think soccer fandom is something really cool, including in the Kansas City area. Um, you know, Chris, the the previous NWSL team in Kansas City was successful on the field, obviously, but it, it didn't make it in the end. You know, what are some of the things you're seeing to tell you that this will make it this time around? I really believe that the community is, you know, so excited about this opportunity. And, you know, I think in some ways, you know, losing something makes you realize how much you really appreciated it when it was here. And then even more so when it comes back. And I feel like that's the point at which we, we are now. And you know, to Angie's point earlier, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that really is going to be important for us is to make sure that that fan experience is truly special and differentiated and unique. And, you know, as I look at um, kind of our uh, approach here, we are, you know, really focused on that. Like we want it to be like Angie describes the, you know, the comets in the eighties. Um, and so <laughs> Uh, I, again, I don't, I don't know that it'll be the same um, lineup of stars that they had, but nonetheless, um, you know, we think that the community wants that. They not only want their team back, and they're so so sad they lost it, and now so excited they got it back, but they also want another experience to enjoy as a Kansas Cityan in the metro with their family, um, and we hope to provide that. That's our goal. Angie, I wanted to ask you about something that was said. Uh, by you guys in an article written by Meg Linehan for The Athletic this week. The quote was, we plan to be the most supportive owners in the league. From your perspective, what all does that support include? Well, I mean, first off, we're a player first organization, right? So so what does that mean? I mean, to me, it means that every major decision that, that we make, every time you hit a uh, point in the crossroads, like do you do this or do you do that? You say, well, what's the right answer for, 
for the players, right? And then, and then I think it just informs major decisions in, in the right way. Um, so, you know, in the in the real short term, that means we need to to take care of the team, like physically getting them here, right? And and make sure that that they know how excited this city is to to have them and help and support in every way getting them integrated into our community. Um, uh, I think we, we need to take care of all of those things so they can focus on on the game, right? We, we want to remove any any barriers for, for them in, in that perspective. Chris, have you guys had a chance to talk to any particular players who are now going to be moving from Utah to Kansas City, some cases back to Kansas City? Yes, we have. Um, I mean, incredibly honored to, to have that opportunity. Um, you know, we, we believe that rosters stacked with talent you know and talent on on the field and off the field um and so we we had a you know full team conversation that was really robust open q a uh, opportunity for for players to ask a lot of questions and for us to also you know share share our, you know our, our our views and vision with them uh, and then since then there's been one-off you know conversations as well um that have happened and uh you know, w- without question, they've been so positive. You know, everyone I think is of the mindset that this is a special opportunity, a special place, and and also to how you start off the the last question to Angie that we are supportive of them first and foremost, and we've got their back. And the turnaround time here is going to be awfully quick, guys. I mean, like the the expansion team out in Los Angeles isn't starting until another year. Like you guys are playing this next season in this league. And obviously you're not starting from scratch because you have players who are with the Utah team. Um, but still, like what what are like the biggest challenges to getting things turned around so quickly? I mean, getting the team here and acclimated, right? That that's a huge that's a huge priority. Um, I think I want to separate out what are the challenges versus what are the the priorities, right? And I mean, what do we have to get right right now, right? And then what are just some of the logistical challenges? So, um, getting right right now is making sure that uh, we we engage with the community, right? That they know what this team is going to be about, that they know what this ownership group is going to be about, that we're all in this together. And and Kansas City is welcoming this team with open arms. And I think, and that was a, probably been one of the biggest priorities of this week is, um, you know, making sure the communication is good. So I think, I think that's been, I think we did pretty, pretty well on, on that, to be honest. And um, we're so lucky in this community because everyone is so supportive. Um, you know, the get, getting the players here, getting that, getting that organized. And then there's, you know, there's a little challenges that, you don't, you know, ordering jerseys. So right. you know, that thing, there's things like that. Um, getting the team, getting the team uniform, you know, we're obviously in, um, in the process of doing everything with the brand and the name and there's, there's short turnaround on that, but we also have a great team. I know you're just talking to me and Chris, but this isn't just Angie and Chris along. Right. So um, when we have an unbelievable partner in, in Brittany Matthews uh, and just her vision, her collaboration, her energy is just fun to be around. Um, and, And then we have Jen Golvik who 
you know, is our, our, our marketing and brand. She's a marketing and brand stud, innovator, you know, the brand whisperer. And so we have a lot of, of work on, on that end. Hugh Williams, Hugh is invaluable. Not only is he the best coach in the league, um, but he was the former GM of the team. So he does know the ins and the outs of running a professional sports team um, in the NWSL. So that is that is a hugely important resource. I was just going to add to that too. Um, you know, we, you know, all around have, have tried to hire uh, people that you know really um, view view this as a you know a, a trailblazing platform. Um, you know, included in that is our you know our, our newly named chief operating officer. Uh, uh, Amber, who's who's a total total rock star as well. So we've really tried to surround, um, you know, the, that's like the team within the team within the team, right? That you can you could have you need so many layers to be able to get this get this right. And um, and we're we're lucky that people have a lot of interest in joining the team and and being part of it. So I'm I'm sure your fans have some some pretty straightforward questions like. Where is your team going to play its games? Where is it going to train? What's the name going to be? <laughs> okay, where are we going to play its game? We can answer that. I'll answer that um, in a second. Where are we going to train? We're, we, we'll have an answer for that very, very quickly. Um, branding will give us less than a month, but okay. uh, but we're we are making significant progress on 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 all those. We actually know where we're going to train. We just can't talk about it just this very second. Uh, games are going to be amazing. Games are going to be at T Bone Stadium, um, mm. and they have been amazing to work with. They we are really. It doesn't feel at all like we're playing in their baseball stadium. It, it everything is being done as if you know there are partners making the stadium for soccer and for baseball. Um, and they, they've just been amazing partners in, in every way. Uh, I, I love that stadium because I don't know if you went to any games when it was there, but from every place you are in the stadium, you can see the field, which Mm -hmm. is nice. If you want to get up and go grab something from concessions, you don't miss anything. It's nice. If you have a little kid who needs to go for a walk around the stadium and can't focus and you don't have to miss the game. Um, and it just, it feels very, it almost feels collaborative. I know that's, it's a funny word to use about the stadium, but it feels connected. That's probably the better word. It feels open and connected and um, we're excited. We're, uh, there's a new owner of the stadium. Mm-hmm. He's putting a lot of money into the stadium and in terms of renovations. Um, and we're doing a lot on the, you know, soccer and female soccer specific side of, of, you know, renovations and branding as well. And the stadium situation is that going to be a temporary for a certain number of years? How, how, what are sort of your plans? It is um, because we want to build our own stadium. So we cool. want to have we want to have the first you know female professional athlete specific built stadium, um, which I think that's another incredible opportunity, and that that gives us the ability to design it around us um, mm-hmm. to schedule it around us and just, you know, to have really an iconic stadium for a women's professional team and, and sizing is important, right? That's one reason that we like T-Bones um, mm-hmm. a lot. I think that 10,000 seat stadium for where NWSL is right now is, is the right size, right? You can sell it out. Um, it can, it can always feel 
very full. It's not, it's not too small. That's a good, that's a good size, but it, I think that'll create the atmosphere that, that we're looking for. Um, we go into a new stadium. I think that's the right size to start, but, but we need expansion room. Cause I don't think that's where the league is going to be, you know, 10 years from now. Nice. So Chris, is there anything you can add sort of about like building a stadium, uh, a soccer specific stadium is not a small thing, even if it's not a, a 30,000 seat stadium. So like, have you started that process? Cause that's going to take a while. We have undoubtedly start, started that process. And, you know, as far as additional vision around the stadium, um, what Angie said is absolutely right. The, the, the purpose and the, the anchor of it is going to be, um, you know, our, our women's soccer team and, and um, everything that surrounds that. However, we're viewing it very much in a civic and community way, which is really important to us with this endeavor um, and hope that it's going to be something that, you know, is used for a lot of other things. Maybe it's a local space for artists. You know, maybe we have, you know, high school championships there or other sorts of competitions. Maybe, you know, uh, from a, you know, um, uh, environmentally friendly aspect, you know, we're the first to, you know, have it uh, be entirely sustainable. You know, different things like that we've been working with the architects on as we speak. And, you know, the goal ultimately is to have it be a destination spot for many people, um, a spot that, you know, people want to get to, a spot that they can get to easily and at low cost. Um, and so we're trying to think of every angle there to make it as um, uh, approachable a stadium as, as one that's out there. I mean, that's pretty incredible news. Um in terms of the other soccer-specific stadium that currently is in the Kansas City area, I got to ask, um, you know, there have been reports that, that the men's MLS team sporting Kansas City did not want to share its soccer stadium, a, a partially publicly funded soccer stadium with your NWSL women's team. Is that accurate? You know, the, uh, if you think about the conversations and relationship with sporting, um, there's been a lot of things reported but at the end of the day, it's been super collaborative. Um, we have a wonderful dialogue going. And, you know, I, I wouldn't want any, you know, press-related items to, to diminish that. Um, we have sought advice from them. They have, you know, returned, returned the favor. You know, we're, we're talking to them on a variety of fronts right now. And in every, every case, we've, we've enjoyed those dialogues and, and look forward to how we you know, how we can uh, promote soccer in a massive way where one plus one equals three, right? That's the goal. Um, and I, I think, I really think given the community, given the sort of other uh, pro um, sports organizations in town, you know, the Royals, the Chiefs, that, that everybody really has embraced us in a massive way. Um, we, we, we really think that one plus one plus one, plus one equals three is, is very doable. I mean, I've gotten a sense that like you guys do have pretty close connections with the other pro sports teams in Kansas City. Um, have you talked to to them as well, sort of as you've started this process with your own team? Yes, we have had regular and frequent dialogues, um, and it's been again for advice. Um, you know, everyone wants to figure out how they can help best. Um, it's, it's tremendous. I mean, we feel so fortunate, um, 
that the leadership that does exist at the major sports organizations in town, you know, including now ours, right? We're, we're uh, we just became the fourth major major pro franchise. Uh, everybody is a big believer in, in what we're trying to trying to accomplish, and and we're grateful for that. Absolutely grateful. Now, this one's for Angie. We've seen a lot more women owners lately in the NWSL. We've talked about Angel City, the expansion team in Los Angeles. It's owned mostly by women. Your team has several women's owners. What should we take away from that and where things are trending? Well, I mean, it, it's still a low percentage. So we're, we're, we're making some progress um, for sure. You know, it's I guess it's one of those things that I don't, I don't understand why there aren't more. Um, I don't understand why that there, there weren't more to begin with, but I do think, um, I do think if there was reason to believe before that, you know, women couldn't do it or women just maybe weren't thinking about doing it because there weren't other women that were doing it. I think that's one way that we, are making some change and then being impactful is just showing that there's a path to do it. Um, and then just to wrap up here, guys, you know, the previous NWSL team in Kansas City won two league titles. How soon do you want to be winning more league titles? Well, obviously we want to as soon as possible. <laughs> um, I would say this group is a competitive group. Uh, you probably, since you've known me as long as you have, you probably know that part about me and Chris <laughs> slightly and, and, and he might be the only one that's more competitive than, than us, but um, it's a look, it's we're building something lasting. Right. So in order to build it right from the, the get go, um, I don't know, maybe it takes us two years instead of this next year, but uh, I think we'll be competitive. Yeah. I mean, we are fully committed to the, you know, the, the product on the field and we think we've got a great one. Um, and then, so, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a fun journey. And you know, you'd asked about the, the player conversations earlier. Um, you know, the, the incoming group, they, they want to win. Um, there's no doubt about it. They are ready to go. Are, you know, really excited to be working with Hugh and, uh, and, want to get started even before February 1st. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. We're, we're excited about it. Angie and Chris Long are the owners of the new NWSL team in Kansas City starting uh, play this next season very soon here. Congratulations to both of you and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Grant. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Angie and Chris Long, as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. Mm-hmm.